0: Hello and welcome back to Over My Dead Pod. I'm Kylie Colwell.
1: This is Kate Carter.
0: And I'm Holly Spear. I had originally researched and written the script a couple months ago, and recently there was a major development, and I went to go post on our social media about it, and I realized we never recorded this episode, but now is the time. This is one of the most interesting conspiracies, I think, and I feel like people need some background on a recent arrest. So let's dive into Bardstown, a small town with a population of about 13,000 in the middle of Kentucky. Bardstown has been named as the most beautiful small town in America several times, the best place in the South to raise a family, and the best small town in America. It is also the bourbon capital of the world with 11 distilleries. While the town is in fact beautiful and peaceful with crime rates far below the national average, there are some very odd unsolved murders and disappearances that outshine its beauty. This is the story of Bardstown, Kentucky and six Insane murders, which may be connected or not. I love a good conspiracy. Oh, you're gonna. This is you're good. gonna love this. This is good stuff. So our story starts with Daniel Cahoe, who was born and raised in Barstown with his parents, twin brother, and another brother. Daniel was known to be a free spirit who kind of just roamed around. He occasionally would sleep outside and go off the grid, but he wasn't homeless. Just a hippie, basically. On December twenty fourth, twenty eleven. Then 34-year-old Daniel went to his parents' house to spend some time with his family. He spent the day with his dad, Roger, and his son, Daniel Jr. Roger later reported that the day was nothing out of the ordinary. They talked about going hunting after New Year's, and when Daniel left, he said bye and see you later, planning to come back over on Christmas Day. Christmas came and went without Daniel, who never showed up and didn't answer any phone calls from his family. His family figured he went off the grid again, but kept calling just in case something was up. It wasn't until New Year's Eve when the family realized that something was wrong. This was because Daniel's twin brother, also named Roger, had been shot. Daniel failed to return any calls or texts about his twin brother. So just a little side story on the twin Roger. He was involved in some sort of domestic dispute with a woman when a man named Edward O'Brien shot him in the stomach. So it's rumored that twin Roger might have been flirting with the woman whose boyfriend got a little too pissed, but don't worry, Edward went to jail and twin Roger lived. By January 6, 2012, Daniel's family went to the police to file a missing person report. Little did they know that the day prior, the body of a young male found in a barn in Spencer County, just north of Bardstown. On the 5th A driver on a one-lane, back-dirt road saw the body of the young male through a gap in a dilapidated tobacco barn. When investigators arrived, they determined that the male had been shot once in the head. They have never revealed what type of gun or ammunition was used. The only information given to the public was that it was not self-inflicted, but the male had been shot at point-blank range. An autopsy confirmed that the body was Daniel, and estimated that he was killed three days prior to discovery, on January 2nd. So this leaves quite a gap between his last sighting on December 24th, even if he had gone off the grid. What's even more strange is that Daniel never showed up to his job during this time. Which, even if he was, you know, kind of off on his own or living out in the woods, he still went to his job at the butcher shop. What's even more weird is that no one knows why Daniel would be in Spencer County. 15 miles away from the family home. Daniel did not have a car and did not know how to drive. The police's theory is that he ran into the wrong person because he was known to roam around and just befriend whoever, or that he witnessed something, which of course could be a strong possibility, but I feel like this is an like, investigator cop-out when they don't have any like strong leads. They're just like, oh, wrong person, wrong time. Yeah. The local theory is that someone was trying to go after his twin brother, Roger. I couldn't find anyone who was after the twin Roger other than the man who shot him, but that guy was in jail during the period that Daniel was missing and murdered. Maybe this is like completely off the wall bonkers, but maybe the guy Edward had someone go and try and kill the twin Roger, but accidentally killed Daniel, I'm not sure. but. It has now been almost nine years since Daniel was murdered, without any arrest or even named suspects. His father, Roger, is still actively trying to get the investigation going and drawing in public support and attention. In an interview, his father, Roger, said, quote, I know it's going to happen, maybe not today or tomorrow, but I really think it will happen. That's what I pray for anyways. Which makes me really sad. Really sad. Anyways, Bardstown kept quiet for a little over two years until another unsolved murder hit the news. Our second strange murder occurred very early in the morning, on May 25th, 2013, when Bardstown K-9 police officer Jason Ellis was finishing his night shift. At one fifty nine a.m., Jason made an arrest and dropped off the arrestee at the Bardstown Jail, before heading to his home in nearby Bloomfield. Before doing so, he had stopped by the station to fill out the paperwork and dropped off the necessary things, including his dash camera. By 2.30 a.m., he was driving home on the Bluegrass Parkway, getting off on his usual exit, exit 34. But when he pulled off on the exit, there were tree branches blocking off the roadway. Jason proceeded to exit his vehicle and began to remove the branches from the road. While doing so, Jason was shot several times, and his arm Side, neck, and then head. At 2.36 a.m., a a woman was exiting off the same ramp and noticed a patrol car parked in the middle of the lane with its headlights on. A few seconds later, another man pulled up behind her and the the two talked for a few minutes about what to do. Eventually, the man decided to go help move the branches when he saw Jason, dead, on the road, laying in a large pool of blood. At 2.53 a.m., the woman called for help on Jason's patrol car radio. Investigators arrived and determined that Jason was shot with a 12-gauge shotgun. Jason's service weapon was still in his holster on his hip. Preliminary analyzing of the scene showed that it was likely that the shots came from a hill alongside the ramp. The Bartstown police chief Rick McCubbin said in a press conference, quote, He was a kind and giving soul who led a life of sacrifice, representative of what it means to be a first responder. Even people he arrested have come to us and told us how kind he was in those situations and that he just wanted to help. And then council member Tommy also said, I believe it was a hit. Ellis was putting a dent into someone's drug trade and they finally got tired of it and they put a hit out on him. I think he was under surveillance so they would know his routine. End quote. So while the investigation was still hot, the Barstown police publicly announced they received a letter. While they didn't reveal the contents of the letter, they said that the letter threatened violence against other officers. The Bardstown police sent the letter to the FBI to be further analyzed, and the FBI determined that it was not likely written by Jason's killer. The police department obviously took this case seriously with one of their own gone. The state police established a hotline, which is elliscasetips at ky.gov. They also hired retired troopers with a strong track record of convictions to lead the case. However, the case soon grew cold, and from what we know as the public, there hasn't been many developments. Jason's family placed a memorial at the ramp, a rock with a metal flag nailed into it with Jason's name. But on October 13, 2022, Jason's family got a call from a few officers asking if they removed the memorial. The family went out and noticed the memorial had been vandalized and the flag was removed. There have been no leads into the vandalization of the memorial. Little backstory on Jason. Jason was originally from Batavia, Ohio. He played baseball at Cumberland College, and he even played in the minor leagues for a bit for the Cincinnati Reds in Sarasota, Florida, and Billings, Montana. He decided to leave the minors to make a difference. He joined the Barstown Police Department in 2006, and by 2008, he had been awarded Officer of the Year. Jason left behind his wife, Amy, and two sons, who were five and four at the time. His death prompted two bills in Kentucky, one to name a stretch of the Bluegrass Highway after him and another to establish minimum penalties for the murder of police officers. As if this wasn't sad enough, I have a bit more. Jason's service canine Figo was retired shortly after his murder and given to Jason's family to keep, and you might actually know Figo because photos of him at Jason's funeral went viral, showing Figo crying over the casket. Kate is crying, maybe. I do have some sad news. Figo passed away on May twenty third, 2017, two days before the fourth anniversary of Jason's death, but Figo was buried beside Jason.
1: You just had to throw in the dog death, didn't you? I had to. That's just so sad. How had to get the tears going.
0: While the theory hasn't been named as a possibility by investigators, people in Bardstown think that a local gang, the Bardstown Money Gang, was involved. As you know, Jason was a canine officer who mainly dealt with narcotics. On February 1st, 2013, so three months before the murder, Jason arrested DeAndre Douglas, the leader of the gang, along with two other members. This arrest occurred during a traffic stop after the three beat up a 62-year-old man in a restaurant a few weeks prior. Ten days before Jason's murder, the leader had accepted a 20-year plea deal for a multitude of crimes. While Jason had arrested quite a few people during this time in service, the reason why the Bardstown Money Gang came up, and so many theories, came up in August of 2013, a few months after the murder. At a party, members of the gang began shouting, "BMG." and attacking fellow partygoers, stomping and kicking them. One of the members began taunting officers attempting to break up the fights about Jason. This member and others then began to claim credit for the murder of Jason Ellis. While this isn't a strong reason to suspect someone of doing so, because it's pretty common for gang members to take credit for awful crimes for some street credit, this is a bit interesting. This is because the member saying these things was branch shekels, the nephew of then mayor, Bill Shuckles. Brant, as far as we know, hasn't been looked at seriously as a suspect. Uh, He was sentenced to four years in prison for other crimes. So with that, our second case, the murder of Jason Ellis is also still unsolved and very much open. And I don't know if this is the police's way of saying our next case is connected or not, or just a coincidence. But with our next two murders in Bardstown, the same retired troopers investigating Jason's murder were appointed to lead this investigation. And I think this one's the most confusing, as if murder wasn't already confusing. I'll just let y'all listen as I tell the story of Kathy Netherland and her daughter, Samantha. Kathy was a special education teacher at Bardstown Elementary, where she was rumored to have taught one of Jason Ellis's sons. Jason's wife, Amy, was also a substitute teacher at the school. Amy was very involved in the Special Olympics, attended church every Sunday with her husband, Robert, and her two daughters, Holly and Samantha. Unfortunately, Robert had passed away in 2013 from colon cancer. At the time of all this, Kathy's eldest daughter, Holly, was in college, leaving just Kathy and Samantha in their Bardstown home. Samantha was 16 and a sophomore at Bardstown High School where she was crazy smart, set to be the valedictorian. Samantha was on the academic team, women in science club, adventure club, young leaders program, and sing in the honors choir. She had recently been accepted into the Gatton Academy program, an early college entrance program for Western Kentucky University. But before all this started, Samantha was just a typical teenage girl looking forward to going to prom. Kathy had posted on Facebook all about the great shopping experience and finding the perfect dress. But, on April 22nd, 2014, neither Kathy nor Samantha showed up to their schools. Both the elementary and high school started communicating with each other and determined this was odd, because neither had ever even been late. The schools called Kathy's father Norris Hardin, who went to the house. Once there, Norris noticed Kathy's car was still in the driveway. Norris then entered the house to find the deceased bodies of Kathy and Samantha. Kathy and Samantha were both tied up to chairs in different rooms in the house. Kathy had been shot multiple times and had a deep cut on her neck. Samantha appeared to be the target as she had been beaten severely and her neck was completely slashed. Investigators determined that the mother and daughter had been murdered around 8 p.m. the night before and that the ordeal took about 10 minutes. It was the police's theory that there were multiple attackers, with Kathy and Samantha murdered in different rooms at about the same time. Nothing was missing from the home, and nothing had been rummaged through. Witnesses and security cameras caught three cars leaving the neighborhood around 8 p.m. that night. Only one went unidentified or unclaimed, a 2006 to 2013 black Chevy Impala. The license plate could not be seen in security footage. There are over 20,000 vehicles matching this description in Kentucky alone, not counting neighboring states. One of the prevailing theories ties back to the Bardstown money gang, and I'll tell you why. A self-proclaimed web sleuth by the free name of Moy Curioso found one of Kathy's Facebook posts from December 31st, 2013. This post said, quote, Earlier this afternoon, we heard a noise. I thought one of our cats had knocked over something. We didn't find anything disturbed, so we thought it was nothing. Boy, were we wrong. A little while ago, Holly opens her front door to go outside to pick up the mail and finds both glass panes in her screen door shattered. We have taken pics, and I have carefully removed loose pieces of glass in the glass frames. All the shattered glass pieces have been swept off, off the front porch. Guess I'll be heading to Lowe's tomorrow to find replacements. Crazy how unexpected events happen. End quote. Kathy later posted a picture of her fixed door, and when investigators were there, they took pictures of the door, which showed significant damage to the wood paneling. And this is sad. Samantha was buried in the prom dress that she had just bought. So what do they think
2: that the the door had to do with the murder?
0: I think the theory is that the door was kicked in Okay. when Kathy and Samantha were murdered. And I, I think it's just like an internet theory that maybe this had been attempted before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So when they were murdered, had the door been kicked open that time? Did they enter through that door? That's what I think so.
0: So reporter Stephanie Bauer for the Peacock documentary, The Disappearance of Crystal Rogers, spoke with an anonymous prison inmate about the murders. The inmate said that Kathy and Samantha were killed as part of a gang initiation. The source said the two were tied to chairs, tortured, and that a cell phone jammer was used so that there was no signal in the house. So at the time of the source saying these things, the public did not know that Kathy and Samantha were tied to chairs. Cell phone jammer is something you can set up, I think it's just like a device, it blocks all the signal.
2: Oh, weird, I've never heard of that.
0: It's like the modern day of, like, way of cutting the phone cable. Police later confirmed that Kathy and Samantha had been tied to chairs. So up until this point, that fact was not made public. Apparently, this inmate knew exactly where the chairs were and what rooms Kathy and Samantha were in. Police did say there was no way to determine if a cell phone jammer was used. And as with every small town, and with the cases we've talked about before, the local rumors began to spread. The main rumor was that Kathy's eldest daughter, Holly, committed the murders in order to get the inheritance left by the dad who passed. Kentucky State Police did investigate Holly, but said they have no evidence that Holly or anyone she knew had anything to do with it. And this is something I love. Holly donated her entire inheritance to the reward fund for information leading to an arrest, and she named the reward fund Holly's Inheritance. Love it. As I've mentioned before, the Kentucky State Police have taken over the investigation of the murder of Kathy and Samantha Netherland, which, could have guessed, remains unsolved. I have found several interviews and conferences done by the state police who have reiterated that they are working these cases daily. We urge anyone with information about the murders of the Netherlands or of Jason Ellis to call 270-766-5078. Now I've given you a lot of information, but we are actually just getting started. This is a little prequel. So the disappearance of Crystal Rogers is what brought this town and all of its odd unsolved murders into the national spotlight. Before we start on Crystal's case, I need to paint a picture of her family tree. So at the time, Crystal was 35 and living with her boyfriend, Brooks Hawk, and their child. Crystal was previously married to a man named Keith Rogers, whom she had four children with. The two were not officially divorced at the time, but separated. Crystal's family also included her parents, Sherry and Tommy Ballard, her sister Brooke, and her brother Casey. On July 3rd, 2015, Crystal had texted a friend saying how excited she was for the plan she had with her boyfriend, Brooks. Crystal's kids from her previous marriage were with their dad, Keith, and the new couple had gotten a babysitter for their young son. Crystal had texted her friend that her and Brooks were going to have a night out at Brooks' family farm. The next day, on the 4th, Crystal's mom, Sherry, got a text from one of Crystal's daughters asking if she had heard from her. Sherry texted back saying no, but that she'll try and get a hold of her. Later that night, neither Sherry nor the daughter had heard from her. Sherry then called her other daughter, Brooke, who also hadn't heard from her. Brooke thought this was weird because the two usually spoke daily. By this point, Crystal's phone was off and any calls went to voicemail. The next day on the 5th, the Ballard family got a concerning phone call. So actually the son of her ex-husband from his previous relationship, had called to say he found Crystal's car on the side of the Bluegrass Parkway by mile marker 14. Suspicious. Are you throwing up red flags?
1: I'm gonna throw a red flag for that one. That's a little
0: suspicious. How do you know it's her
1: exact car, you know?
0: Yeah, I don't know if she had any, if he knew the license plate, if she had any like stickers on it, I don't know. Crystal's dad and brother went out to the car to find that there was a low tire, the keys were in the ignition, And the driver's seat was pushed almost all the way back crystal's purse and phone were inside the car leading up to where her car was there were black marks on the road now the tire didn't have a hole or anything they said it wasn't even like low enough for the usual person wouldn't even like pull over for crystal's brother casey has said he immediately knew crystal didn't drive the car there he knew she wouldn't have pulled over and that her seat wouldn't have been pushed so far back police were called to the scene and get this They only spent 10 minutes searching and processing the car before towing it away. Is the picture that we're seeing the actual car? Yes. That's a spare tire on the back. Yeah. I don't know if the spare tire was on the car when they found it or if they put it
1: on after because of the low tire. Just because I was going to say, even with the low tire, like spare tires are really low to begin with. You know, like you can't. You're not supposed to drive them, like, far distance, so that's all just a little suspicious. Did they
2: put the spare on to, like, load it onto the tow truck, maybe?
1: I think that's a possibility. But even then, like, having the car seat back all the way, like, if Cameron found my car and the car seat was back all the way, he'd be like, "Mm, she wasn't driving this, or, like, something
0: happened. If anyone finds my car and the seat isn't pushed all the way up to the front, even though I'm (laughs) 5'7", it wasn't me driving. And my keys and
1: my purse in the car. Something has happened.
0: And phone, cell phone. Oh, and her phone was in the car? Yes.
1: Yeah, that ain't good.
0: So it was clear to Crystal's family that her case of being missing wasn't going to be taken very seriously. So they started their own investigation. Her dad, Tommy, organized searches spanning several counties. He spent literally every minute putting signs up, speaking to reporters, and organizing searches. The thing is, This isn't Tommy's first time organizing a search for a missing family member. In 1983, Tommy's 19-year-old sister Frida Ballard went missing when she was seven months pregnant. Her car was later found in a river with a rock placed on the gas pedal. Frida's remains were later found on a farm, eerily close to where Crystal's car was found. Frida had been shot to death. In the end, it was determined Frida's estranged husband, Edsel Barnes, and his associate, George Weir, were convicted with her murder and sentenced to life in prison. The theory is, is that Edsel didn't want to be a father or pay child support. Yeah, just kill the baby mama. Yep, that makes a lot of sense.
1: We know for, they were convicted, right? So we know that they were. Okay.
0: This was in the 80s also. I don't trust much of the 80s when it comes to crime. So while Tommy is dealing with another great tragedy in the family, you know, who never offered to help? Her boyfriend, Brooks. On the 8th of July, Brooks sat down for an interview with police. You can actually watch the entire two-hour-long interview on YouTube, and then you can watch like four-hour breakdowns of it, which I have watched. I'll post a link to it on her blog, but here's the gist of what Brooks had to say. According to Brooks, on July 3rd, he, Crystal, and their two-year-old son went to his family's farm. No mention of a babysitter that Crystal talked about with a friend. The trio fed the livestock and returned home, going to bed at what he described as a normal hour. Brooks said that when he was falling asleep, Crystal was in bed beside him playing games on her phone. When he woke up in the morning, Crystal was magically gone. Brooks said that it was actually normal for Crystal to up and leave in the middle of the night. She would go hang out with her friends or her sister and go to bars and party. Side note, Crystal's friends and family have said that this was, in fact, not normal and had never happened once. About an hour and a half into this interview, Brooks got a phone call from his brother, Nick. Nick is a police officer with the Bardstown Police. And fun fact, Nick was also on duty working the same shift as Officer Jason Ellis on the night he was murdered. There's, there's a lot of weaving of ties in this story. This is all suspicious.
1: Everything
2: is. It might be a common denominator here.
0: Yeah, it seems like it. In the video of the interview, we can't hear what Nick says on the phone call, but we can assume it's usual advice to stop the interview and obtain a lawyer. This is because we can hear Brooks confirming he's there and talking, and then abruptly ending the interview as soon as he gets off the phone. Immediately after this interview ending, around 8.30 p.m., Security footage showed Brooks and Nick meeting up at the family farm and not leaving until 11.22 p.m. Brooks and Nick have never stated why they were there or what they were doing. But police did also obtain security footage from the night of the 3rd. This footage showed Brooks, Crystal, and their son arriving at the farm. It only showed Brooks and their son leaving. So by now, national attention was rampant, and our dear favorite, Nancy Grace, did a feature on the case. As with any Nancy Grace episode, shit got juicy. While speaking with Crystal's parents, Brooks called into the show. Oh, perfect. When interrogated, Brooks said he didn't report Crystal missing because he wasn't concerned. He did admit that the relationship was strained and that when they needed space, Crystal would uh, up and leave and go stay at her cousin's place. Crystal's parents said this had only happened one time. Brooks went on to say that on the 4th of July, he had called Crystal to no avail, but ended up going to a 4th of July party the two planned on attending, thinking she would just magically show up. The very next day after this Nancy Grace interview, the brother Nick was brought in to testify in front of a grand jury. Of course, these are sealed, so we don't know what occurred. But right after, Nick's police cruiser was confiscated and searched. According to detectives, luminol showed bodily fluids in the trunk. This could be blood, saliva, sweat, or urine, so it could be innocent, but the detective also said, quote, it glowed like Chernobyl. Okay. Major red phonics.
1: I'm pretty sure that uh, sweat and urine doesn't glow
0: like Chernobyl. And I don't think it would be that much of it unless you just peed all over the trunk of your work car.
1: Yeah. And even if it was sweat, like they wouldn't say that if it was his, you know, like there's They wouldn't have found anything if it was actually
0: his sweat or his pee. A few days after the search, Nick sat down for an interview with the Kentucky State Police. But, of course, this was not helpful. For every single question, Nick said either that he didn't know or that he couldn't remember. One big revelation we got from this interview was when detectives asked Nick about a witness statement. This witness said they saw Nick move something from the trunk of his police cruiser to a family member's car before driving off. Nick did not have an explanation. On July 20th, Nick was scheduled to take a polygraph test, but he never showed up. Brooks had taken one a few days prior and it was inconclusive. Look at this while Nick is under investigation at this police department, he is still showing up to work at the police department. How is he not on
1: probation while this is happening? I don't know. Like, he this makes no sense
0: he won't show up for the polygraph but then he'll show up for his shift.
1: I unfortunately I hate to say this but I'm, cl- I'm good for him for not showing up for the polygraph. You never have to, okay? Uh we, everybody knows that the three of us will agree do not take a polygraph test. They are never. not they they're not good for you. Okay, I have a question too. Brooks, baby mama, baby all went to a, the farm. Yes. Brooks and baby left, baby mama did not. And Correct. there's
0: video footage of that allegedly. But back to the polygraph, Nick did eventually take it, and it showed deception when asked about Crystal. of course. At this point, Nick was suspended on September 9th, and on October 16th, he was fired. Finally, Police Chief Rick McCubbin had this to say about it, quote, I gave him a verbal command to cooperate with the lead investigator and to meet with him. He stated to me that he had nothing to say, and that if he knew anything, he would have already talked to him. The Nelson County Sheriff went a little bit harder and said, quote, he has failed a polygraph regarding Miss Rogers' disappearance. He advised his brother not to speak to the police. He refused to speak to our investigator. And he has been uncooperative in grand jury testimony and has selective amnesia. He's not worthy of being a police officer, end quote.
2: Selective amnesia.
1: I love that. Yeah, um, My husband says I have that every once in a while. It's a hard dig. Yeah, it is. But I understand.
0: Your amnesia is not about murder, so
1: yeah, that's true. That's true. That's just like I forgot to do something, you didn't tell me. I don't remember.
0: So, the same day that Nick was fired, Brooks was officially named a suspect. Additionally, police now presumed Crystal was dead and were no longer investigating her as a missing person. So, Brooks owned a rental property business, building and renting out over 130 different properties. Crystal also worked for him, and as soon as Brooks was named a suspect, he quickly began selling all of his properties way below their market value. Crystal's family got the hint that he might be trying to flee, so they began fighting for legal custody of the son Crystal shared with him. So while this custody dispute was ongoing, another tragedy in Bardstown and in the Ballard family struck. Ever since Brooks and Nick started being investigated, Crystal's dad, Tommy, started telling other family members he felt as if he was being followed. They weren't sure if Tommy was just being paranoid, given what happened to his daughter, and Brooks being free. But Tommy installed security cameras at their house and began carrying a gun wherever he went. On November 19, 2016, Tommy and his 11-year-old grandson went hunting on their property right off the Bluegrass Parkway. Around 8 a.m., the grandson went back to the truck to grab something, and at this moment, the grandson and Tommy's son Casey, who was on the other side of the property, heard a gunshot. Immediately after, Tommy screamed for his grandson who went running to him. Tommy told him he had been struck by something and to call police. Before authorities or EMS could arrive, Tommy died of a single gunshot to his torso. Police haven't revealed what direction the bullet came from or what type of gun or what type of ammunition was used. They have, however, confirmed that Tommy's gun hadn't been fired that day and that the grandson's rifle wasn't loaded. The Fish and Wildlife Organization also got involved in the investigation to to discern whether this was a hunting accident or not. Because the Ballard family, is a pretty big property and they have reported in the past several times of people like hunting illegally on their land without permission. I think police believe that the gun or the bullet, came from the highway because they began asking for witnesses on the highway that morning and asking for truck drivers to turn in any dash cam footage they had. So the Ballard family and the town of Bardstown believed that this was an assassination. Tommy went out into the woods every Sunday morning, whether it was hunting or just walking around to clear his mind. Of course, this case is still open and is being investigated as a death investigation as they still haven't determined if this was accidental or a homicide. There is a reward growing for information and the Ballard family encourages anyone with information to email it to tipsfortommy@outlook.com.
1: RIP Papa Ballard. This is really sad and how traumatizing for their family too. They have just been through it. They've been through it. And I also, I mean, we've all heard of hunting accidents and, and you know, things happening when it comes to shooting, but you can only imagine, it's it's Tommy, his nephew, no, grandson, that had a gun, but then also his son Casey was there?
0: Casey was on the property. I don't think he was out hunting with them, but he was somewhere on the property. So
1: the only two guns that we know of were Tommy and the six-year-old, but the six-years-old wasn't loaded and Tommy's never went off. Yeah. Okay, so it was a murder. I don't know why <laughs> they would say like it was still undecided if it was accidental. I feel like that's just...
0: I think the accidental theory is someone else was out hunting on the property illegally and accidentally shot Tommy, perhaps mistaking him for an animal.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it happens.
0: Yeah, we've heard of it. It does happen. So while the Ballard family was burying and grieving Tommy, an arrest was made. Danny Singleton, a... An employee of Brooks was arrested on 38 counts of perjury stemming from his grand jury testimony. He later pled guilty to 38 lesser counts of false swearing and served eight months in prison. Of course, we don't know what he lied about, but 38 counts is a lot, but still not the arrest we wanted. By now, the investigation was ramping up and police figured out what car the neighbor witness saw Nick putting stuff in. It was a white Buick, owned by their 82-year-old grandma, Anna Whitesides. Nick had sold the car a few weeks after Crystal's disappearance, but the police tracked it down and brought it in for testing. In June of 2016, Grandma Anna Whitesides appeared in front of another grand jury to be questioned about the car. She refused to testify, invoking her Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination.
1: Oh, yeah, Grandma. I mean, not good for the case, but like...
0: Yeah, this grandma's a ride or die. She's
1: a ride or die.
0: So a court order from the judge afterwards said, quote, in the court's Spanish it appears the Commonwealth may very well believe all the following. One, that Whiteside's motor vehicle was used to dispose of a body. Two, that her motor vehicle was subsequently clean. And three, that her motor vehicle was sold in an attempt to prevent the Commonwealth from obtaining any evidence from it. So in August, police searched Grandma's property, Nick's house, and the 245-acre family farm owned by the two brothers' mom, Rosemary. This farm had been searched in 2016, 2020, 2021, and 2022 by local and state police and even the FBI. So nothing from these searches have been revealed publicly yet, but reporters have noticed that they've zeroed in on a driveway of one of the houses on the property. This driveway was made by Brooks Construction Company shortly after Crystal's disappearance.
1: Suspicious.
0: Suspicious. Police kept investigating through the years, but I'm going to take a little side quest and give you some tea. Because on September 5th, 2017, Brooke's new girlfriend, Crystal Maupin, pled guilty to theft charges. And yes, his new girlfriend is another blonde woman named Crystal. So I'll just call her Maupin, but Maupin was arrested for stealing Crystal's missing signs around town and signs that said standing with the Ballards. Oh, she she petty. She's also a ride or die for Brooks. She's a ride or die. The Ballard family, I think this is funny, replaced all of the signs with ones that say, quote, Detectives say Brooks Huck killed Crystal Rogers.
1: Oh, can you do that? Apparently. I mean, I I I guess it's free speech, but like, I don't know, man.
0: In 2018, Brooks was charged with theft, having allegedly stolen shingles from a hardware store. He was later rearrested for not paying court fees and fines from this charge. And in 2019, his house burned down. Police ruled it as arson and believe it was done by disgruntled employees, but no arrests have been made in that case. This is a story. There's so much shit going on in this town. So, you remember the custody battle between the Ballards and Brooks? Well, in February 2021, crystal's mom was denied the right to even visit her grandson why i don't know so through the years police and the fbi kept working behind the scenes to gather evidence in every press conference they had said they know who killed crystal they just needed enough to make the arrest well the time has finally come on september 27th 2023 just a short bit ago Brooks was charged with the murder of Crystal Rogers and with tampering with physical evidence. Following the arrest, the Ballard family released this statement. Quote, This morning, the Ballard family received word that Brooks Hook was arrested for an indictment warrant after being indicted by a Nelson County grand jury. Brooks was named the number one suspect in Crystal's case in 2015. At this time, we ask for privacy, as this is another step forward for justice for Crystal. Continue to pray that justice is served and we bring Crystal home on October 5th, which is today for us recording, Brooks was officially arraigned in Nelson County Circuit Court. Crystal's family showed up sitting in the front row wearing pink in support for her. Some of the men in the family wore green shirts in support for Tommy. In today's hearing, we found out the charges were filed in July. The prosecutor claims to have over a terabyte of evidence. The prosecutor also claimed that Brooks' sister, brother, mother, brother-in-law, and his mother's boyfriend, secretly recorded all of the grand jury hearings.
1: This is crazy.
0: A family of criminals, including Mimaw. Grandma. (laughs) We also learned that police are still investigating the murder of Tommy Ballard and are currently testing a gun owned by Nick. They believe it was a weapon used to kill Tommy. The main point of today's indictment hearing was was to decide on Brooks' bail. When he was arrested, his bond was set to $10 million. In court, his lawyers argued to lower it to 50000 and Brooks would wear a GPS monitor. The judge decided he needed more time to read over the documents presented, so his bond has yet to be determined at the time of this recording. But get this, we also found out that Brooks wasn't the only one arrested.
2: Oh wow, because from the beginning they were thinking that it was two people that committed
1: that other murder. Should we Um, guess? Are you going to tell us? Should we guess first?
0: Yeah, do you guess who the second person is? I think it's grandma. his brother. The brother, who'd you grandma. say, Holly? Oh. Grandma, grandma. Cool.
2: I don't think so, but I mean, I don't know.
0: I'm
1: brother. Brother, yeah, now for real, brother.
0: Okay, ready for the answer. The second person arrested was thirty-two-year-old Joseph Lawson. Who's that? That's a good question because I also did not know. Oh, no one, man. <laughs> no one knew who Joseph Lawson was. So Joseph is the son of Steve Lawson, a man who worked for Brooks. People I found out in Brooks' interrogation video. Please asked him why Steve Lawson had called him super late on the night of July 3rd. Brooks said it was about rental properties. So we don't quite yet know how jo- know how Joseph is involved, but I think people are thinking he was the one brought in to maybe dispose of the body or car? That seems to be the prevailing theory.
1: I mean, obviously they have some type of connection for it, but that's... I don't know. Hopefully we find out more. What's that Russian guy that... with the long beard? Putin? Yeah, he kind of looks like Putin. He kind of
0: does. Yeah. Anyways. I don't know why this was brought up in court today, but they made a pretty big point i guess to point out that joseph was completely naked when he was arrested
1: why wouldn't you point that out i mean that's a why was he no idea why aren't you i mean you know like was he in his house i feel like that's it's okay i don't know where he was actually i hope he was in his house
2: so wait who was pointing out that he was naked why do people care the prosecutor
1: just trying to they're just you know
0: yeah okay anyways the pre-trial for this is set to begin in February prosecutor is trying to have trial the actual trial start next summer but of course Brooks defense attorneys are trying to get the case moved elsewhere because of all the media attention and do not suspect that they will be prepared for trial next summer so this could go on for quite a while Now that justice is approaching for Crystal and her family, there are still a lot more questions that need answers. The murders of Daniel Cahoe, Jason Ellis, Kathy, and Samantha Netherland remain unsolved. It seems Tommy's case may have some arrests soon, hopefully, but also the body of Crystal Rogers has yet to be found. It might just be because it's a small town, but every victim was connected in some way. Whether it be a coincidence or a conspiracy, it's still odd. For a small town like this to have such unusual and heinous crimes. I want to know if you guys think something big is going on. Whether you think these are connected or not. I have I have a little theory. So I think there are three different sets of connections. I think the murder of Daniel Cahoe was probably not connected to the others. I have no idea who would have killed him or why. I think the second set would be Jason Ellis and the Netherlands. I'm leaning towards the Bardstown Money Gang being involved in these murders. Obviously, Jason was a narcotics cop who arrested their leader. I think that would be a pretty big hit. And the anonymous inmates' information about it being a gang initiation were so, it was like so specific that even investigators had to later publicly confirm some of the things he said. And of course, third set would be Crystal Rogers and her dad, Tommy Ballard. Pretty safe bet. That Brooks killed Crystal and possibly Nick killed Tommy. But my thing is, why would they want to kill the dad?
1: It's a really good question. I mean, I hate to say why not, but like at some point they could have just started picking off people who were like doing too much, you know, like, or maybe Tommy knew something that he wasn't supposed to know or saw something that he didn't know was connected yet. Or, you know, I, I, okay. Personal Mm -hmm. thought. I agree with you. I think it's three separate cases or three separate like groupings. Unfortunately, I think Daniel's just on his own, even though that's a weird one. It just there's not enough connection for Mm -hmm. it to be like put together. But then I think the brothers did everything else. And then the other one was gang related um, just because we do know that happens a lot. And especially like if he the officer that was shot and killed, they said that he was most he hadn't withdrawn his gun he wasn't like in a, you know, it wasn't like he was in a fight and somebody had shot him. That's usually targeted assassination. You know, that's not...
0: Yeah, well, they, it looks like they had intentionally put the trees on the road to block so you'd have to get out of the car and move them. Right. Which
1: yeah. I, I, we, I've seen stories like that before. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I think it was three separate cases, but the last one with Crystal and everything, that is just... Crazy. I do want to know why the other guys related though and why he was arrested.
0: I do too. And I don't think we'll be able to find out until the trial, which is sad. And that can yep. take a while. That could take a while too. It could be like two years.
1: Yeah. And also, wasn't that story, didn't that all happen in 2015? So, like, it's been a hot, it would five, six, seven, eight years for him just to be out and about and not arrested. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: What's weird is, the investigators saying, like, they know who did it. They just needed mm-hmm. evidence. And then at the hearing today, they said they had a terabyte of evidence. Yeah. There must have been some sort of nail in the coffin that came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: they were waiting for something very specific. I mean, I get it. You want to, as a prosecutor, you want to get as much evidence as possible before making the arrest so that you know you're going to win your case. But eight years? Goodness gracious. The time frame within that town, too. Like, that's a small little town like if my where i grew up in winston it's not really that small i mean it's kind of small it's not like a city or anything but it's not that small but if if you know shit like that happened and i don't know i don't like because i feel like there's been murders and stuff that happened even in our old town of like little rock and whatnot and like none of them were connected but they were all completely separate cases like these actually have facts that like put them together in families yeah and yeah. that's that brooks family they went they were ride or die.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like they're
1: all suspicious.
0: I just hope that Nick gets arrested. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he hasn't yet. Obviously, he helped clean up, cover up something for Brooks. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's dangerous. And then, like, the girlfriend probably knew shit, too.
0: The new oh, Crystal. Yeah. yeah. New Crystal. Yeah, why else would you tear up the signs? That's hilarious. That's some... Yeah. She was just
1: tired of it this was a crazy story multiple stories six
0: six stories and one small tiny town and one yeah and the fact like it
1: it ranged in such a time period but also like it's completely recent i mean this just happened today yeah right yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah That's
0: when all the murders happened within like a year year and a half of each other
1: that's that's not that's no
0: bueno but if you're listening, we'd love to hear from you about this case. And of course, I'll keep everyone updated about the case against Brooks Hook as it develops on our Instagram. And with that, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Over My Dead Pod. If you want even more information, including photos and sources of the case, you can check out our out our blog on overmydeadpod.com. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and check us out on social media at overmydeadpod. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: I was recently describing to Luke um, New Orleans because I was talking about Kylie wanting to move to New Orleans and I was like their cemeteries are above ground like what is she doing over there
0: I ain't gonna go see her when she's sitting up above the ground I'm planning on being cremated so it's fine okay is that yeah what how do you guys want to so Kylie
1: you're a cremation gal
0: yeah or I'm gonna do like the tree thing or just throw me out in the ocean like oh Oh, we went right to that. Okay. Holly, what What's about frankly, you?
1: I, I don't
2: know. I like the idea of being cremated. I've been to like so many funerals lately and it's just, I don't I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Don't. I don't want it. I don't want that. You know,
1: I just don't. I, no, I've
0: been I, to one funeral and I don't, I don't get it. I would not like think it's
1: healing. The tree. The tree. I've always said that. Um, cool. My whole family and Cameron knows. And now you guys all know, I would like to be, you can be planted and it grows as a tree. And so like, that's your visiting spot or, or just depending how I go, you know, if it's something crazy, I'd love to be donated to science.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, you will a weirdo. Oh yeah. You know what I've looked into is body farms. Love it. Love it. My mom and I are really into it. I think it would cool. Just sit out in the field.
1: Yeah. I do not want to, don't cremate me because that's just like, you have to, it's expensive to be cremated. I mean, it's more expensive Mm -hmm. to buy a coffin but you got to pay to be burned up body. Like just put me on a body farm or donate me to science or make me a tree. Like, just let me do, let me, let my, let my body live. You know, just y'all edit some- this shit out. Y'all are, y'all are gonna, y'all are a bunch of freaking weirdo. We're not editing this out. Everybody needs to know. Holly's the weird <laughs> one. She wants to be like a normal person. Put yeah. Kylie and I out in the freaking farms and let people touch our bones.
0: Yeah, let us get more attention.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I want I want a little plaque that what? says overmydeadpod.com.
0: Wait, we should get um, OverMyDeadPod tattoos before we do. Oh, we have the knife, but we need to get like the logo.
1: We need to get OMDP
0: a hyperlink. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So QR All right, code,
1: guys. Well, with that, we'll wrap up today's episode, and we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye, 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 Bodido.